0: please visit our website at concordunited.org.
1: Towards the end of the New Testament, we get into the New Testament letters. They're written by Christian leaders to early churches that were just beginning and offering often that were suffering persecution and hardship and they teach how to love and how to hold together in the midst of great difficulties. So today we're looking at the book, Brook of Hebrews and talking about the glue that, that holds us together and uh, part of that that holds us together in our faith and gives us strength for daily living is reading our Bible each day. We have a Bible reading plan at concordunited.org that will give you a Bible reading every day till now from now till about forever. So, what would, would encourage you, you don't have to sign up for forever yet, but maybe if you're not doing it yet, sign up for this week and, and give it a try. I think it will be a great, great blessing to you. Uh, as we think about what holds us together, often our minds turn to mothers, and I my mind turns particularly to one mother who grew up with significant hardship. She grew up as the 25th of 25 children in a day and age when girls' uh, education was not prioritized or often made available. uh, She was a very smart young lady and she took every opportunity she could to learn. She grew into a fierce, independent thinker who actually as a young woman she was a strong Christian uh, but she thought based on her beliefs about God that she wanted to go to a different denomination than her father and in those days women were supposed to go where their father went or where their husband went and she switched denominations. She married a man who was a very strong Christian and a very hard worker. Unfortunately, he wasn't always, there are some people who work very hard, they don't always work very smart. And he wasn't necessarily a very smart worker. He didn't make a lot of money, wasn't able to provide for her and her family as she would have wished he could have during that time. She had 19 children herself only 10 of which survived their infant years. Uh, But during all that season of loss, she continued to turn to her faith in Jesus to see her through and continued to passionately uh, do everything she could to teach the faith and raise the children uh, which she had. She uh, invested very heavily in their education and she did everything she could to put food on the table even uh, when she didn't have the money she needed to buy what she'd like to have for her family at the market. Uh, One day uh, she heard uh, yells, screams coming from upstairs and she realized her house was on fire. She did everything she could to get all her children out and she got them out and she did a head count and they were one short and she knew almost immediately who wasn't there. There was one of her children who was shorter than the others, weaker than the others, slower than the others, worried more than the others. And uh, this uh, young man named John, he was still in the house. And suddenly she saw his panicked face appear in one of the upstairs windows with flames coming up behind him. She was able to uh, grab some of the men, uh, in the area and they came they formed almost a human ladder they got up to the second floor window they pulled him out of the window and he survived but after that terrible day uh, it took them 2 years to rebuild their house and they didn't have another place that they could afford to go to with a house big enough for all of them so she had to take her children and allow them to live in the homes of family friends uh, for uh, up to two years while her home was rebuilt and this really hurt her heart not to have her children under her roof finally two years later the family home was rebuilt she got them all back together and she was horrified by the way the children who'd lived in other homes had learned to talk have you ever noticed this that like there is a list in society of like bad words right words you're not supposed to say and it's like this long and then there's your mom's list, right? And it's like this long. Well, she had learned, they had learned some words she didn't like and she recommitted herself to their education. And when she recommitted to something, she went all in. She decided that children didn't really need formal education until the age of five. But at the age of five, it was on. I mean it was it, their first day in her home when they turned 5 years old. Guess what their birthday present was? Learn the whole alphabet. Not learn the letter A, learn the entire thing, the the whole alphabet. She taught all her children to read and write English. She taught all her children to read and write Latin. She taught all her children to read and write Greek. And she knew growing up as the 25th of 25 children, how easy it was to never get one-on-one time with your parent and to always feel left out. So what what she did was she scheduled out two to three hours a week just for each child and that was their time. And if if you needed to talk to her during her time with another child, If your hair wasn't on fire and your heart hadn't stopped, she probably didn't have time to talk to you because she was focused on them for that time and she invested in each one of her children intensely. She had uh, one child and his name was Charles and he was musical. They were a musical family, but he was just always playing music and he was always singing, and he was making up lyrics to his own songs, and she saw this in him and encouraged him, and one day he sat down and wrote these words, Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Her son wrote that, that we still sing, he wrote hundreds and hundreds of other hymns too and became one of the most important church hymn writers of the past 500 years because of the education and support he received in, in her house. His father was active too in his life and influenced his faith, but she was his primary guide and, and, and influence. And that little boy who was weak and, and slow and worried a lot, John, he... He grew up too and uh, the, this boy grew up into this great intellectual mind who went to Oxford to, to study theology to, to become a pastor, uh, who went to the United States to be a missionary in the state of Georgia in Savannah and who on his way back from that experience got into a boat and where there was a storm at sea and during that storm uh, he, was, he had a panic attack and he went and he found these other Christians there and and there were women and children and men and they were praising God and they had peace and he said I want that and this young man who worried so much realized that his faith was so intellectual it was in his head but it wasn't yet in his heart he began looking for that faith of the head and the heart and it didn't take him too long after he found that uh, that heart experience to realize uh, all the truth of what his mother had taught him all those years. His name was John Wesley and he changed the course of English history and he changed the course of world history by what he did after that. He looked around, he said, everybody should have this. Everybody should have this faith that helps you see the world as God sees it and helps your heart feel as, as God feels. And he saw a church that wasn't prepared to give that to the people, a church where you had to be upper class, a a church corrupted by business and politics, a a church where you had to appreciate old, old, old classical music or or you couldn't really experience worship. And he said that's not how it should be. So he got his brother Charles and he said we got to write new songs and start uh, create new melodies and we got to play the type of music people like and he went around, he said, and it's not right that we, we only got educated because our mother was educated. It's not right that there are kids uh, who don't have education. So he started free schools at a time when the, there were no free schools. And he noticed people said, we can't come in the church, we don't own nice enough clothes. And at that time, probably 80% of the population would have said, we don't own the type of clothes that you need for, for going to church. So he began preaching outdoors to people because they would come there and then he began teaching them that you have something to offer. In a day and time when it was being taught that if you were impoverished that was because of your sin, he taught that if you were impoverished that meant Jesus loved you and that the rich rich and poor had nothing to do with faithful and unfaithful in, in many circumstances. And so he started free medical clinics and he started feeding ministries and, and all this and he helped his country avoid a civil war between rich and poor because of all this. He, he sent his followers over to the United States and, and his church grew and it became known as the Methodist Church and all throughout his life Susanna, his mother, was his bedrock, was his cornerstone. In fact at one point uh, so many people were finding real faith that really impacted their lives for themselves that Methodist preachers were springing up everywhere And some of those preachers were women. And this disturbed John because he'd been taught in school that the Bible said women shouldn't preach. And he wrote home to tell his mother about the situation and to ask how he could kindly uh, ask these women to stop preaching. And she wrote back to them, and I quote, do not stop them from preaching or I will have your dog hide. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay, I'm not sure dog hide is actually an old English word. Uh, but she wrote something very close uh, to, to that, to him. And so it's no coincidence that Methodism, years later, became the first denomination to fully ordain women. Largely because of Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley experienced for herself, and she saw in others what God could do through not just men, but, but also women. In many ways, this world's a very different place. Because she held her family together. And as she held her family together, and she held her two sons, John and Charles Wesley, together and gave them a faith that would hold them together, she didn't have anyone to hold her together she didn't she had a good hard-working husband but he wasn't someone who was always present in the home who was always there for her she didn't have parents she could turn to she didn't have a lot of friends she could go to but she had Jesus Christ who held her together through all those circumstances friends who holds you together who is it that holds you together do you have people in this life who will hold you like Susanna held her family together? Do you know Jesus like she knew Jesus, that when those people aren't around or when they don't know what to do and don't know what to say, you still have someone who will hold you together? The book of Hebrews talks to the earliest Christians about what it means to know Jesus as the one who holds us together and then what it means to reach out to help hold one another together. And in chapter 10, uh, beginning with verse 19, it says these words. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful, and let us to consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Did you hear what they say? The, book, the book of Hebrews says there? That through the blood of Jesus, uh, we have a great high priest. And who has opened the curtain for us so that we can be held together. Okay, this is the book of Hebrews talking to first century Jews in language they would understand. And if we can understand it as they would understand it, it can become very powerful language, not just to them, but also to us. You see, they came from a religion where uh, for them to be right with God, a high priest had to offer sacrifices. And particularly one day a year, he had to walk through the curtain in the temple that separated the holiest of holies, the holiest room in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant had been kept from all the other rooms. And he had to offer a sacrifice there in order for the people to be forgiven in order for them to be restored to God who could hold them together. And the book of Hebrews is saying that's not necessary anymore. Jesus has done that. His body is the curtain through which we approach the holy of holies, through which we approach the very heart of God. And by his blood, we have, we have all been given that right to approach not just a high priest on one particular day wearing certain vestments after he has done certain ritual washings to make himself presentable, but we all on our worst days can approach the throne of God so that Jesus Christ can hold us together. And not only does Jesus Christ hold us together, but Jesus Christ holds the whole family of God together. Uh, He holds all of us together, and teaches us how to love one another as he loved us, and teaches us what it means to be church family for one another. And you need to know that. As badly as when John Wesley was on that boat having a panic attack, as he needed a faith that was not just in his head, but that was also in his heart, you need a faith that helps you know that Jesus is there in your head and feel Jesus' presence in your heart. When you're walking through those things that it's hard to walk through on your own. When you encounter those moments which do come for all of us. When someone else can't be right there and doesn't know just what to say and just what to do in that moment. So you'll know there is someone right there for you named Jesus. In those moments of grief where we're just not sure how we're going to go on to know that he's the one who comforts. In those moments where life changes and we all have these times where we thought life was going like this and life goes like that and we thought God was working like this and life works like that and we say, okay, God, where are you now? Because I kind of thought life working out like this was part of the deal, but now it seems like life has worked out like that and are you still there? you need somebody to hold you together right then and to assure assure you that God's got you and the whole world in his hands and he's not about to, to drop either either when you walk through those days of pain those days of fear where you just dread what you have to go through that day you need to know the one who walked the dreaded road to the cross who was strong enough to walk that road and who is strong enough to help you walk any road that you have to walk in your life when you if you go through a season where y- you have encounter life it's just got you into some kind of state where it's hard to even get out of bed in the morning you have to know that Jesus is there and he's cheering you on and he is pulling you out of that bed and he's getting you in the shower and he's helping you brush your teeth and he's helping you get your clothes on and he's just saying okay let's just go let's just do what we can today and I'm going to be here with you and we're going to do it again tomorrow you need to know Jesus is the one that holds you together and you need to know that Jesus is the one that holds us together. He holds us together. Uh, if you, if right now, if we were to talk about how we feel about all the issues facing our society, in this room, there would be so many differences of opinion on so many issues. But there's this thing that brings us all together. And what, what that thing is, is the love of Christ because it's greater than any differences of opinion that we have. That it learns us, it, it teaches us how to look at someone that believes very differently than us and see the image of God in them. It teaches us how to forgive those who hurt us, uh, not one time, not two times, but as many times as they hurt us. Doesn't mean we always give them the same opportunity to hurt us again, but means it means that we're not going to allow uh, hate and desire for revenge to consume our lives and we're always going to pray for the blessing of others even when they become our enemies. There's this God who holds us together and so many people in our world now have become tribalistic and they think they only want to relate to, they only want to be friends with people who, they only want to go to church with people who think exactly like them And, and this Jesus comes together and says, I'm much bigger than that. There were differences of opinion in my early disciples and there's room for that among you, but I'm gonna teach you how to love one another as, I, as I've loved you. Uh, just as our mothers many times hold the family, the earthly family together. They tell us, you're gonna show up at Christmas. You're gonna show up at Easter. You're gonna show up at Mother's Day. You know, for a lot of mothers... The greatest thing about Mother's Day isn't that they get to see you, it's that they get to get you all together and get to see you seeing one another. They hold the families together in, in many cases. That's what Jesus does for us. And we learn some things for him from him. Just like our mothers teach us that those holidays, those special occasions, those aren't optional. Friends, in the family of God, worship and small groups are not optional activities, Their family gatherings. Jesus worshiped every week. Even before he began preaching, he worshiped every week in the synagogues. We need to. And wherever you are, whether you have to uh, worship online while traveling or whether you're able to be here in person, we need to worship each week. We need that small group time. We need that time to talk to one another. Jesus wanted to change the world. And so, Instead of using all these miracles, he gets 12 large, for the most part, rather uneducated disciples and forms a small group and says out of this small group, the, the world's going to change. And it's going to be in this small group that we all find the strength we're going to need for a life that's going to give us challenges that we might never uh, have, have realized. Uh, we, we need that too. And just as everyone needs a family, everyone needs a church. Remember what the book of Hebrews said, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, some, but encouraging one another. That it's being together that provokes us to do good, uh, to, to reach out. It's being together that encourages us when we're discouraged and that it's the habit of some to step away. To allow themselves because of the challenges life presents to become isolated. And it's our job to reach out. The movement that emerged from Susanna Wesley and her son John Wesley, Methodism, Methodism really emerged out of the idea that every Christian needed Jesus and every Christian needed a church where they would feel welcome. In too many places, there's a church, but there's not a church where everyone would feel welcome. And Christians look around and they think, well there's a church, you should just come to church and you should do church this way if you if you really believed. But John Wesley said that wasn't good enough. He said it wasn't good enough to have a church that where people didn't feel welcome. He said you need to figure out what kind of church the people would feel welcome in and you need to go start one of those and he spent his life riding hundreds of thousands of miles on horseback doing just that and teaching his followers to do that around the globe a movement that that continues. To, to this day and continues right here. Concord United Methodist is here because of our continued belief that every Christian needs Jesus and every Christian needs a church, a church where they feel welcome. That's why we were started in 1865 when our community had been devastated by the Civil War. Uh, that That's why after uh, our foremothers and our forefathers uh, spent 60 years raising money to, bu- to build their first building, that after less than 40 years in that building, we moved and we left it and we came to this piece of property. And we did that not because we didn't respect the sacrifices they made to build, build that building, but because we had a greater respect for the sacrifices they made to make sure there was a church where everyone would feel welcome. And the people were coming this way and we needed to come this way uh, so that we could have a church where they would they would feel welcome coming it all continued it continued because people right here had had their hearts hearts and their heads transformed by Jesus Christ and they realized we didn't just we don't just come here for ourselves but we come here and we gather to encourage and provoke one another to do good deeds and to reach out to those who aren't here because for those who aren't here who don't have a family like this there's going to come a day uh, when those people have an experience that they don't know how to get through on their own, that their support system isn't prepared to see them through, and they're going to need to know this Jesus, and they're going to need to have a church that's right there and that's ready for them. So we don't just gather for ourselves, but we gather for our community. And we do so because of people like John Wesley, who preached all those sermons. And rode all those miles and started all those free schools and free medical clinics and feeding ministries and started worship people could appreciate. So we have worship in different styles so people can appreciate it and we dress different ways so people can feel comfortable and we have missions ministries uh, so we can reach out to the physical needs which often need to be met before the spiritual needs can be met and we have small groups because we need to be one of those to encourage and provoke one another uh, to, to good deeds just like John Wesley did in the early days of Methodism, Methodism. and we commit ourselves to doing anything we can just like Susanna Wesley did that to having a faith that no matter what comes in life uh, we not only find ourselves held together by Christ but that we are constantly reaching out to hold others together and just as Christ worked through her uh, and through her sons uh, and through so many throughout the, the years we want Christ to work that same way through us and if that is your desire then I'd invite you to take just a moment and pray with me this morning. Gracious God, we thank you for those who've come before us, our mothers and our fathers in the faith. God, we pray that you would teach us to look to you to hold us together and teach us to be people who hold one another together, who love as you have loved us. Lord, on our worst days, teach us to look to you and God teach us always to look beyond ourselves to look to how we might reach out and help others hold together in this world that seems so bent on pulling us apart Lord hold us together in the family of God until that day when we worship you forever and ever in the kingdom of God we pray these things in your name and in the name of of your Son, Jesus Christ our Savior. And we all said together, Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.